Welcome to CityGraceNY.com. Thank you for listening to this message recorded live at City Grace Church. Uh, this is Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, and not as teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Um, If you don't know, we are continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark, and the title of this series is Everyday Missionaries. And for the next couple of weeks and months, we're going to be looking at how the understanding of the gospel puts people on mission. And we've already looked at the first couple of verses through the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And this morning, we are going to be looking about at how the gospel is a gospel of healing. Last week, if you were joining us, we looked at how when Jesus calls people to himself, he calls them to be fishers of men. That following Jesus means you yourself have a responsibility to bring others into the kingdom of God. This morning, we're going to be talking about how the gospel not only calls people to follow Jesus, but the gospel itself heals people. In our Bible passage this morning, we see that Jesus divinely heals someone with what the text calls an impure spirit. And Jesus heals many other people who who were sick at the time. And Jesus begins this ministry after and only after Jesus himself hears affirming words from his father. That at Jesus' baptism, the father says to Jesus, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And after that, Jesus begins a healing ministry that radically changes the entire world. Our world and our city ache for healing and for restoration. So just this past week, we remembered 9-11, right? One of the most traumatic, world-changing events in all of history. So 18 years later, we are still grieving, still feeling the impact of that tragic event. There was a, a physical, an emotional, and a spiritual toll that that event had on this city. And some of you joined us just this past week where we had a healing service for those impacted by 9-11. People that survived that tragic event had to be treated. 
by physical doctors, their, their wounds. People had to go to therapists and counselors to help them deal with the, the emotional impact of that event. And if you were here in 9-11, you might have noticed that after the event, people flooded churches, synagogues, mosques, communities of faith. Why? Because after that event, people were looking for spiritual answers. Right? There was a, a physical, an emotional, and, a, and spiritual damage that was done to this city. And ever since then, the city has been looking for healing, looking for restoration, looking for help. The city rallied right, in, in really her heroic and courageous ways. But at the same time, we see in our passage, that as this city has looked for healing, that when people heard about Jesus, they too looked for Jesus for healing. Jesus was seemingly able to provide a healing and a restoration that no one, nothing and no one else could. So verses 27 and 28 say this, that the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So Jesus, right, when he begins his ministry, news about Jesus spreads very, very quickly. Crowds and crowds, they, they begin to flock toward him. They see him, and they make a beeline for him. But interestingly, we see a rather ironic situation in this first chapter of Mark. An ironic situation that happens today as well, which is that the people who were most familiar with Jesus were the slowest to recognize who Jesus was. So in this morning's passage, we see that it was actually not the disciples who recognized Jesus for who he is, but we see that it was actually the impure spirits, the evil spirits that recognized and named Jesus for who he was. So the people who were supposed to be the most religious people at the time, the people who said that they wanted to follow Jesus, the people who had the highest sense of morality, those were the people that when they saw Jesus, they, they were interested in Jesus, but they actually didn't recognize who he was. It was the impure spirits who, when they saw Jesus, said, you are the Holy One of God. It was the evil and the impure spirits who recognized how holy Jesus was, how set apart he was, how different he was than anything else that they've ever encountered. It wasn't the disciples, it was the evil spirits. And so people were amazed what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. And even his own disciples, right, the people who said they wanted to follow Jesus struggled and were the slowest to respond to Jesus himself. The people who were supposed to be on God's side, the religious people, the leaders, looked at Jesus and they were often puzzled. They were confused. They knew he was someone important. They knew he could offer them something. But when Jesus spoke to them, they were flabbergasted. They were at a loss for words. 
The very people who were closest to Jesus were the people who most misunderstood Jesus. Why? The disciples had preconceived notions about Jesus. They had perceptions about Jesus. And Jesus didn't fit into the box that, this, that the disciples thought he should fit in. Right? The disciples and the Jewish people at the time had preconceived notions about who the Messiah was, what he was supposed to do, what he was able to do, what he was supposed to teach, and Jesus didn't meet those expectations. So today, we often have expectations of what Jesus is supposed to do, about who Jesus actually is. Some of us think that Jesus is someone who's supposed to give us a community of, of friends. I'm supposed to believe in Jesus, and then Jesus gives me a group of people that love me and care for me. Some of us think that Jesus is to, supposed to help us do well in life. So we have the, this dream of what we're supposed to do, about what we want to accomplish, and Jesus is supposed to assist us and help us get the life that we've always wanted. Or perhaps we, we see Jesus as someone who is either a, a right-wing conservative or perhaps a, a left-wing liberal, right? No, no matter what our perspective of Jesus is, we have preconceived perceptions about who Jesus is and what he should do for our lives. So when those expectations are not met, we get confused, we get puzzled we don't actually end up recognizing Jesus for who he really is. We see in, in the book of Genesis that God makes human beings in his image. But when we have expectations and preconceived notions of Jesus, what ends up happening is that very often we make God in our image. Right? In other words, the way that human beings were designed to be, right, is that being made in God's image means that human beings were supposed to reflect God. We have the character of God. We reflect God in many different ways. But when we put expectations and preconceived notions on God, what happens is we begin to actually make God into our image. We begin to think that God starts to reflect us instead of the other way around. So for example, if I am a really patriotic American, I can begin to think that God is a patriotic American, that God is all for America because I'm for America. Or for example, if I'm a, a Chinese American, which I am, I begin to think that probably God has the same exact values same exact perspective, same exact opinions as me. And no matter what ethnicity or race you are, what tends to happen is that we tend to put ourselves, our values, our opinions, our perspectives, and project that on God. God suddenly begins to look like us rather than us looking like God. And we all come from different perspectives, a diverse set of perspectives, and we all do this, right? We tend to see God in the lens 
that we want to see God. So this is where the importance of diversity is. City Grace and Grace Faith both value diversity. Why? Because when we have a diverse group of people that come together as a community of faith, having the different perspectives, the different opinions, the, di the different values, the different cultures, we actually get to see a fuller picture of who God is. Right? Because if we only see God from one lens, from one perspective, again, our tendency is to project that onto God. But when we have various perspectives, various opinions, various cultures, we can come together and measure those against one another, measured against what Jesus taught, who Jesus was, and actually begin to see a fuller and more complete picture of the gospel itself a fuller and com more complete picture than we could see just by ourselves, right? Because all of us would agree that we all come to life, right? Not just faith, but life from a certain perspective. We've all been raised differently. We have different values. We're at different stages of life, right? All of that skews our, our vision, our perspective, and our opinions. So when we are in a community that is diverse, that has a difference of opinions, a difference of perspectives, we can see not only life from a different perspective, but see God from a different perspective. We can see each other's blind spots. We can speak into one another's, one another's lives, but only when we are in a community that is able to value diversity the way that this church does. So, we must first listen and understand how God first defines himself before we start to define God for him, right? We must understand what it means to be made in God's image rather than to make God in our image. And when we listen to how God defines himself here in the New Testament with Jesus, but also in the Old Testament, we see how God chooses to define himself. In Exodus chapter 15, there's a story and in that story, God gives one of his covenant names, a personal name. And in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, he says this. He says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the Lord who heals you. So in Exodus chapter 15, God gives one of his covenant names, which is Jehovah Rophe. Jehovah Rophe, which means the God who heals. And we see in Exodus chapter 15, not only, right, is God a God who heals? He doesn't just do healing, but because it's his name, he reveals himself to be a God who is healing. It's his very being. It's part of who he is. Who, Je who Jesus is and who God is, right, at the core of who they are, is healing. 
And we see that in the Old Testament, and we see that in the New Testament. So Jehovah Rophe in the Old Testament means that God is a God who heals, but who heals in a various different ways. So not only does God heal people physically, but we see in the Old Testament that God uses this name and this verb to heal water, to heal land, to heal nations, and even to heal sin. God himself, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, reveal themselves to be God who heals in every single way that we can imagine possible. So we might think, okay, if we have a cold, God can heal us, and our cold gets better. And that's one way to think about healing, right? That's, that's one way to think about restoration. But God's vision of restoration is far greater than just healing a cold, right? It's the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual components of human beings and all of creation that God desires to heal. God is a God who heals not just one aspect of life, but all of life. Because from, the, from the, God's perspective, he created all of life. So when God creates the entire world and sin enters the world and it becomes to break down, God sees that as opportunities for him to show up and to show off. To show how he can heal every aspect of creation. Every aspect of human beings. In Jesus, right, we see that his healing ministry, right, becomes the full expression of what God wants to heal in this world. So Jesus' healing ministry, right, we see was, was far-reaching, was wide-ranging, and we see that Jesus heals someone who's possessed by an impure spirit, including Simon's mother-in-law. And we also see that in order for Jesus to heal all of the physical damage, all of the emotional damage, and all of the spiritual damage that's done by sin, we see that ultimately, in order for Jesus to heal all of that, he has to go to the cross. So in Matthew's account of Jesus healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law, he says this. Matthew 8:17 says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So in order for Jesus to heal our sickness, to heal our diseases we see that the gospel message is that Jesus had to take on those diseases, to take on that brokenness, to take it all on himself in order for us to be healed. Just this past week, in watching the 9-11 memorial service, it was particularly moving, I think, for me to hear about the, the first responders and the families of the first responders. It was a reminder of the, the incredible courage and the incredible bravery displayed by the first responders when 9-11 happened. Because on, on an average day, right, the first responders, they go to situations knowing that it's a risk. Right? Every day, 
police officers, firefighters, EMT workers, they go to these situations knowing that their lives are at risk, their dangerous jobs. But it was something that uh, one of the family members said this past week that kind of struck me. And what they said was basically acknowledging and highlighting the courage of their family members who were going up the crumbling buildings. Because the courage and the bravery that they displayed was far greater than the average day. Because on that day, they were going up buildings that they knew were going to crumble. So on an average day, when they know that their lives are at risk, on that day, they went up knowing that it would cost them their lives. That most likely, them going up meant that they wouldn't come down because they responded. They responded to people in need. They responded to broken people and they did everything in their power to make sure that people came down safely. And many people did. But the first responders on that day, right, they did not go up to rescue people simply at the risk of their lives, but at the cost of their lives. And the gospel message is that God is not a God who is indifferent to the needs of human beings. Jesus responded to the need for physical healing and emotional healing and spiritual healing. Right? Jesus responded by willingly entering the human experience, entering the world knowing that he wouldn't return the same way. knowing that it would cost him his life. Jesus responded with healing others, but ultimately he had to be wounded in order for us to be healed. He had to go to the cross to ensure that we would one day be completely healed of all of our diseases, all of our infirmities, all of our brokenness. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. No doubt in this room, right, we, we have sickness and ailments and diseases and mental and emotional health issues. There is spiritual apathy and spiritual disconnection. And just because we show up at church, it doesn't mean all of that gets automatically healed. I'm sure many of us have prayed for healing of, of various sorts and felt like God actually hasn't answered. As Pastor Ben mentioned, my wife and I are expecting a child, perhaps this week, perhaps next week. And in the last pregnancy, uh, my wife developed a, a condition and it's looking like that condition might come back for this pregnancy as well. And we've been praying every day at the dinner table, every day with our son Eli, praying that this condition doesn't develop, but it looks like it is. So every day we live in this tension. God, you are a God who heals. You are a God who can do anything. And we have faith in that. 
And sometimes God does heal. And sometimes God tells us to wait. In 1967, some of you may have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, she was a woman who dove into the Chesapeake Bay and she misjudged the shallowness of the water and she suffered a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical levels and she be became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. And during Tata's two years of rehabilitation, um, according to her autobi autobiography, Joni, she experienced anger, she experienced depression, she experienced suicidal thoughts, and she experienced religious doubts. To date, she has written over 40 books, recorded several musical albums, and she's an advocate for people with disabilities. Tata wrote of her experiences in her 1976 best-selling autobiography, Johnny, the unforgettable story of a young woman's struggle against quadriplegia and depression. And two years ago, Megan and I got to hear her at a conference. And in her writings, she, she struggles. She struggles with understanding why God has not healed her. She has a ministry and goes from country to country, from city to city. And she still struggles. Why hasn't God healed her? She could bring so much glory to God if God would just heal her quadriplegia. She says this in her book, A Place of Healing, that he, God, has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. And even after she wrote that, eight years ago, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she battled the breast cancer. She, did, she was declared cancer-free after five years. And then just last year, 2018, diagnosed with cancer again. Whether or not we're Christians, right, we, we have physical and emotional and spiritual sickness that yearns to be healed, that yearns to be restored. And Jesus himself, right, saw this physical, emotional, and spiritual brokenness, and he chose to enter it. He chose to take it on. And the gospel tells us that some people, right, as a result of that, will be healed today. We fully believe that Jesus can completely heal any of those diseases today. But Jesus, in his wisdom and his love, sometimes chooses not to. But God hasn't changed. He still sees and he still cares. Why? Because it's who he is. He's Jehovah Rophe, the God who heals. And Jesus displays the fullness of all that God's name is. So by faith, some people receive healing today. But the gospel tells us by faith that all people who follow Jesus will one day be healed. That it may, it may come this day, but it will come another day. Some people get healed today, all people will be healed eventually. Because the gospel is that one day the kingdom of God will come down in all of its fullness. 
The kingdom of God has been inaugurated. It has started in the ministry of Jesus. But our broken bodies, our emotional struggles, our spiritual disconnection, right, all push us towards wanting and feeling and experiencing the fullness of all the entire kingdom of God. So we need to have now faith in a God who is not simply a genie in a bottle, but a faith in a God who can heal us in ways that would boggle our mind, in ways that would cause us to be amazed the way the crowds were amazed, amazed at his teaching with authority, amazed at the kingdom of God spreading like wildfire all through the power of the Holy Spirit. So our prayers of faith give opportunity for God to, dis to display who he is, what the gospel message is, James chapter 5, verse 15 says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. Right? This is what James chapter 5 promises. That through faith, we can be healed. Through prayer, we can be healed. So in a moment, we will have people to pray to pray for you, because we know, of course, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there is physical and emotional and spiritual sickness. So let's pray together now, and we invite the prayer team to be available for anyone who would like prayer for their sickness. Because once again, James chapter five tells us that prayers of faith can make people well. Father God, we, we thank you for revealing who you are, that you yourself are a God of healing. We thank you for the ministry of Jesus, which showed us how powerful you really are. And God, we thank you for the promise in James chapter 5 that the prayer offered in faith will make sick people well, whether that's physical healing, emotional healing, or spiritual healing. God, we see in the scriptures how important healing is to you. Our, our human lives are, are so complex, and we pray that you would make our broken lives whole again. So if you yourself are in need of healing and of restoration, the prayer team is available on the sides. We invite you to ask for prayer. In the same way that people sought out Jesus for healing, God, we pray that you would stir people's hearts to seek out healing. Because God, there are things in our life and places in our life where we don't even realize we need healing. Parts of us that are broken that we don't see is broken. So God, would you reveal those places in our life that need healing? And God, may they be healed today. You are a God who is supernatural, God. You work through doctors, but you work through faith. 
God, help us see the areas in others' lives that need healing. Healing is not just something to make us feel better, but is healing that can restore not just people, but can restore cities. So God, we pray for our city, the people of this city who are still traumatized by events like 9-11. God, may you move us to love and to heal our neighbors. Help us to be attentive to the needs and wounds of others, even as we feel that we have enough needs and wounds to worry about on our own. God, every year we're reminded of the darkness and the light that we live with on a daily basis. God, I pray that the light of the gospel would bring us a healing that blows away our expectations. God, you heal us because you love us. God, may we experience and know how deep your love is for us. That your love for us is a love that heals us. That your love for us is a love that restores us. God, may we as a church be restored. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.